Ephesians chapter 1, let's just read this beautiful text. Ephesians chapter 1 in our message today is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. We, you know that the first section of this, Paul is just giving a doxology, a praise for all the things that are true of those who are in Christ. And now he's going to pray that the people that have all these things that are true, that they would be true in their actual experience. And that's what we have today. In our text today, it's a prayer. So let's just read this beautiful text maybe a couple of times. This is Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Say amen. That's a great text. You can't even mess one up like that. It's so good. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we study this text. Father, thank you for this beautiful prayer, this gorgeous prayer, this meaningful, rich prayer. What a delight it is to have the Word of God in our hands today and to know that you have given to us what we need so that we can live lives, experience the power of God and, 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 and be Christians who have the dynamic of God working in us and that you can show up in our lives and help us to that end, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we ran this hotel in, in Flint and we, we were responsible for security at night in the parking garage. And so we had a number of the students from a Christian college associated with our uh, organization that were the men who stayed in, all night in the parking garage and doing security. Um, Chuck was one of those guys who walked over one morning uh, to talk to the lady that would be on duty in the morning. And she was his sister, and she was there, and she had a, a magazine that she would always read. She read, always read uh, two or three, she had two or three copies of Ebony Magazine, and that's what she would read, and she had those copies there. And one morning she says to Chuck, she says, who keeps sticking my magazines into the safe? So what would happen is the guys that would work night security would take the magazines and kind of shove them into the little mouth on the safe. In the morning, she had the key so she could open the safe, but her magazines would be stuffed in the safe. Chuck said to her, well, you know, here's what I think is going on. Those young men, like a lot of young men, they're struggling with, you know, having a, you know, a pure moral thought life. And some of the pictures in those magazines might be troubling to them. And then this sister says, well, I'll just tell you something. If those pictures are troubling to them, they need another dose of the Holy Ghost. We have laughed for years about that. Have you ever had a feeling like, I need another dose of the Holy Ghost? You ever had that feeling? You ever feel like, why, why am I a Christian but living in discouragement? Why am I a Christian? And the Bible says wonderful things about being a Christian and the power of God in my life, but I'm still struggling with anger. Why is it that 
I'm a Christian, and I know that the Holy Spirit lives in me, and all these things the Bible says are supposed to be true about me, but I have these besetting sins that I just can't seem to overcome. Have you ever had that feeling? I want to talk to you today about that, and our text today has just this most powerful thing to tell us about how to experience the power of God. How to experience the power of God. So let's take a look at the text, and we'll walk you through. Now, first of all, in verse 15, Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Here's the first thing I would say. If you want to experience the power of God, number one, first thing, not necessarily number one, but the first thing is make sure that you have the life of God and you make sure you're a Christian. Paul's describing Christians. He goes, I'm going to pray these things about you because I can tell you're Christians. And he says he can tell they're Christians really with two simple tests. One, I can see your faith toward Jesus Christ. Christians are people who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. He says, I can tell you're a Christian because of your faith toward Jesus Christ. That didn't convict me too bad when I read it this week. Now the next one, it kind of convicted me. It says, and your love for the saints. Did I quote that right? I tricked you, Dan. Thank you very much. Your love for what? All the saints. I'm like, when I read it, I'm like, I love the saints, pretty much. Every once in a while, there's an exception. Is that all right? Isn't that interesting? It's, this is what it says. I can tell you're a Christian because you have faith toward Jesus Christ, and that's what Christians have, and you love all the saints. That was convicting right there on the first line. So there you go. How can you have the experience the power of God? Well, first of all, make sure you're saved. How do you know you're saved? You have faith toward Jesus and you love all the saints. If you don't love all the saints, you might want to check out to make sure you, you, know, you have the life of God in you because Jesus loves all the saints, right? If he loves all the believers and he's living in you, then there ought to be some in there you can find love for all the saints. They convicted already? All right, so that's the first thing. But the second thing is the heart of the text. And it's essentially a prayer that Paul's going to pray for them. And this is the dynamic. This is the thing that, that if you will, is maybe the first step or a critical step in having the experience of the power of God. Notice he says in verse 16, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now Paul is praying what I would call here, and I do this, it's what I would call a blanket prayer. He does a couple of things. He goes, I, I never stop thanking God for you. So like if you're a pastor, you're an apostle, you're a deacon, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a dad, if you've got anybody that's kind of like under your, you're responsible for them, I just would say this is a great pattern. Pray for him. And pray by number one going, thank you, God. Thank you for him. Thank you that I get to be a mom and I got those daughters. Thank you that I get to be a dad. Thank you that I have a little Sunday school class. Thank you that I'm a deacon. Thank you there are people. Thank you for the people I pray for. Thank, number one is to thank and remember them in prayers. The kind of prayer that Paul is praying here, though, is what I would call a blanket prayer. He does this a lot. I call it a blanket prayer because it's a little bit like he said, like, if I were to pray for the church, I'd say, God bless all the members of Evangel. And I'll just tell you this. My prayers for you are often the blanket prayers that lead me to what I call the bullet prayers. The blanket prayer, like, I actually have you all divided up into, uh, with your, you know, into days of the week. And then I pray for every name. And then, but, but it's a blanket prayer. It's like I'm praying one thing for all these people on that day, but I'm saying every name to God in prayer. 
a little bit beyond. I don't think Paul was naming every name because he wouldn't have known every single person necessarily. You can see that from the text. But anyway, what I'm saying is this. Paul's praying a blanket prayer for everybody. And then the beautiful thing I think about that in my own experience is if I'm praying a blanket prayer and I'm saying your name before the Lord, then what often happens is then I, when I say your name before the Lord, the Lord brings something else to my mind about you. It's like if you're having a surgery this week or if you're grieving because of a lost loved one or if you have a kid that went off to college or, you know, or, or if you're giving me trouble, you know, like you're going to be like up to the top of my prayer list. I'm going to pray more. It's true. I'm just saying, you know, I'm going to pray more for you. Please don't give me trouble so I will pray more for you, okay? That, that's not a, good, not a good program. But anyway, uh, for this reason, because I heard of your faith in Jesus and your love for the saints, all the saints, I, I don't cease to give thanks and remember you in my prayers. Okay, how many of you would like to know, well, what does he pray for them? What does he pray so that all the blessings that are listed, that are already ours in the heavenlies and listed in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, become ours in actual living reality and the power of God in our life? Because that's where Ephesians is going. It's going to get really specific when you get to chapter 4 and 5 and 6 about the kinds of things that we can expect to happen in our lives. And it's nothing less than the experience of the power of God in our lives to live holy lives, to live lives of victory and not defeat, to live lives of joy and not discouragement, to live lives of purpose and not depression, to live pure and holy lives, to have strong families and to be good parents and to be good workers and to win in spiritual warfare. That's all what Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 say, but let's not get there yet. Let's back up and say, what's Paul saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit we need to do to get, to have the experience of the dynamic, victorious experience of the power of God in our life. We start with prayer. Prayer is vital. We pray a special kind of prayer for, and it's going to say, an enlightenment in our souls that the lights kind of go on so that we see the heavenly realities that we wouldn't normally see in our, in our humanness. It's almost like let the lights go on so that we see heaven and we see hell, and we see demons, and we see angels, and we see God, and we see the past, and we see the future. We have spiritual insight. And you're going to, let me show you this. It's, this is what Paul, and then and, and, and Paul is going to explain this prayer. It starts there, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, he calls the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory. Now let me stop and explain it just a little bit. Given him the title, the Father of Glory, and what is glory? It's one of those foggy words that sometimes we don't pay very careful attention to. Glory is the revelation or essence or the revealing of all that God is and his beauties and his perfections. Glory is God's revelation of himself. What is he like? The Father who created all the lights, the one who displays the glory of God, who's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the one Paul is praying to. And he said, and here's what he's praying, and it gets to the heart of it here, that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So if I was underlined, I might underline eyes of your heart enlightened because you just got to the very heart of the prayer. Everything else is going to fall away from this. This is, the, this is the key thing. Paul is going to pray for those people that God would open the eyes of their heart to spiritual realities. 
that's the beginning of us living a dynamic Christian life. It's like we see what's really true, not just in the natural, not just in the physical or material world, but all that is true in Christ, in God, in heaven, in hell, in angels and demons, and everything that God gives us an enlightenment. Now, there's some specific things that we want to be enlightened to, that we want to pray for. The heart of the text, the way the text is, is just simply that we have an enlightenment to know the Lord well, and that knowing the Lord well, we would see three things. And you're going to see that those three things are the hope of our calling, and the riches of our inheritance, and the power of God in us. And the rest of the text just talks in beautiful lyrical terms about how powerful God is. But in order to kind of help us today to see this in a very helpful and practical way, let me just say these are, the, are four things. That four things, then, that we ought to pray for ourselves. Four things that we ought to pray for other people so that they experience the power of God, so that we experience the power of God, all right? Now, and the first one is this. And you notice there's some slides here, so let's take a look here. Pray to see Jesus in these things. Look at the first one. First of all, pray to see Jesus in our intimacy with God. This is what Paul's going to say. Notice what he says. That he may give you the spirit of wisdom, verse 17, of revelation of the knowledge of him. And he's saying, I'm going to pray that God helps you see that you can know God. And the word for know here is not just like I know it in my head, but it's like I have an intimate experience with him. Paul's prayer, and your prayer for your kids, or anybody, or your prayer for you, is God, help me to see that through Christ, I can know God in an intimate way. That's what he's saying right there. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, and then it says that we may know what is the hope to which he called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. You see the three things that are there? So this is our intimacy with God. First, our intimacy with God. And then in the second thing, not only we pray that we see Jesus and our intimacy with God, but we also pray that in Jesus we see who we are. You get this? We say, God, through Jesus, show me who God is. And when he answers that prayer, we see God is possible to know God in personal intimacy, to know and to love God. That should, by the way, have been expressed when you came in today. In the first time you greeted somebody else that you saw, your worship began when you started laying out your clothes last night and planning to be here and driving here. It was a part of your worship. And then when we gathered in assembly and we began to sing or you heard the songs playing and then you began to sing, you begin, this is a corporate experience of, of our intimacy and our love for God. We're not so much thinking about, at that point, you know, about uh, silly little minor things. We're thinking, now we are together in the presence of God. And we're praying this year that God will manifest himself in, uh, in the, the assembly in a very powerful way that people would recognize God has shown up. We're praying that this year, that God would manifest himself in, we prayed that last week, some of you came forward and prayed. We're gonna keep praying, God, will you show up in our church so families will be reunited that would be broken? Would you show up in our church so that when a son and a dad have, a, have something between them, that that would be healed and put back together? That a prodigals would return to God, that people would get saved and follow the Lord in baptism, and that it would be unmistakable that the power of God is showing up, that no person could do that. That's the way we wanna pray. God says, Paul says, that this is the kind of prayers that we ought to pray. 
God, help me to see how Jesus has made it possible for me to have intimacy with God, worship and fellowship with God. And then God, help me to see that through Jesus, I also, who I am, the way God sees me. And this is pretty shocking. Notice the three things again. One, that we would see with the eyes of our heart, the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. You know this, we've taught it before, that the idea of hope is not like we use in common language. In the Bible, it means something more. It's much more powerful. In the Bible, what hope means is an absolute strong confidence that God is going to fulfill his promises. We have the hope. How do we know we have hope? The hope of our calling, the hope to which we're called. That's what Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 emphasizes over and over again. The calling that God has chosen and, and he's called us, that there's a divine sovereign work at work in our life. That's the part of who we are. When I see that in my mind, in my spirit, in my heart, when God helps me see the hope of my calling, then I'm going to have a more dynamic Christian life. I'm going to have another dose of the Holy Ghost, if you will. I'm going to have a greater likelihood that I have freedom from that pornography habit, right? I'm going to have greater likelihood that I have freedom from that anger habit. I'm going to have greater likelihood that I have freedom from that gossip habit. I'm going to have a greater likelihood that I have freedom from that greed or that hatred or that bitterness or that person that's just so hard to forgive because I have the hope of my calling, the confidence that God's promises are true. And then the second thing he says to pray there is the rich that we would be the hope to which he's called you, and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, some people have said there are two truths that could have been expressed in here. One is we're saints and we get an inheritance in Christ. We know that's true because the Bible, the, the passage has already said that just a few verses earlier. We also know that when you study the rest of Scripture and the grammar here could mean this, we also know that saints are God's inheritance, so he's given the saints an inheritance, but we the saints are his inheritance. Now, which does it mean? Here, here's what I believe. I, I believe that what it means is, this, this is referring, both of those things are true in the Bible, but what is this passage referring to? I believe that because it just introduced the idea of our inheritance, that it's just talking about our inheritance in him. I also believe that there's a parallel passage in Colossians chapter 1. And so Paul, when he prays, he prays in a similar way. And if you study that, you'll notice that it's very clear in the Colossians passage that in that passage, Paul's talking about our inheritance. So that's kind of why I believe this. What are we saying here? Okay, I'm, if I want to have a dynamic Christian life, I want to make sure I'm saved, how can I tell? I, love, I have faith in Jesus and I love all the saints. Now the second thing I want to do is I want to pray for enlightenment. The enlightenment I want to pray for is that I would see that I can have intimacy with God. Help me to see, God, that I can have intimacy with you. And then the second thing I want to pray for is help me see, in other words, number one, help me see God the way I ought to through Christ. And number two, help me see me the way I ought to. And the first part of that is I see that I have a calling, a hope to which I'm called, confidence in the future because of my calling as God has called me in you. And second thing, that I have an inheritance to look forward to, riches. I have whatever I need to do whatever God called me to do. I'm not, a, I'm not, a spiritual, uh, I'm not in spiritual poverty. I'm in spiritual embarrassment of riches. I have what I need. And the third thing is that power, that the power that Jesus has is, is given to us. You see that? We pray, God, enlighten me to this. Enlighten me to, this is in verse 19, and this expressed in a beautiful way. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us 
who believe according to the working of his great might. Of, of his great might. Isn't that just beautifully written? It's just like poetry. And so inspiring in our souls. This is what we pray. God, help me to see I'm not lacking in a bright confidence in the future because I'm called by God in the past and he's going to bring me home. Second, help me to see that I have everything you know, that I need because I have this great inheritance in Christ. And third, help me to see that I have the power to do whatever it is that, does that kind of, if you get an enlightenment, do you think that'll give you a little bit more confidence to go out and seize the reality of the promises of God so that you have victory over the demons that plague you and you have victory over the world and the flesh and the devil and you don't have to live like I'm a Christian but I don't look like a Christian. I'm a Christian but I'm still in bondage to, you know, fill in the blank. I want to name them all to pick on you. Just like whatever it is that you're struggling with that would give God great glory if you had victory in that. Whatever it is that is really making other people blaspheme your God and mock your God because that's still in your life and it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be there. First thing is ask God to help you see it through Christ who God is, through Christ who you are. There's an interesting thing here too. It's like through Christ we see who the, the principalities and the powers, the spirit world. Now look there in verse 21. This is just extending the, uh, an ex- uh, the description of the power of Christ. In verse 20, it says, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. This is examples of how powerful Jesus is. You might ask the question, how powerful is Jesus? Like the power that he gives you is the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. That's pretty powerful. The power that he gives us is the same power used for Jesus to ascend and be at the right hand of the Father. That's pretty powerful, right? That power is available to you. You say, I can't stop gossiping. Well, of course you can stop gossiping. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can help you stop gossiping, right? If God can raise Jesus from the dead, you do not have to live in bondage of pornography. You do not. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, you can love your wife even when she hurts you, amen? It don't nudge her right now. That's not good. Don't do that. Just like, say, you know, just like take notes, be very quiet right now. Be, behave. Right? If God can raise Jesus from the dead and, put, and set Jesus on high, he can give you the power to love your neighbor, even if your neighbor's like, kind of like not very lovable. All those things, the power of God is available to me, the power of God. Now, what do we need? We need an enlightenment in our mind. God, help me really. That is true. Help me to see it's true. That's the first thing Paul knows to pray for. He's inspired by the Spirit to say that, and it's describing that the power of Christ. And, that, and then it goes on to describe the power in verse 21, and this is where we kind of see a, a, an allusion to the spirit world, if you will. Far above, five things. Rule, authority, power, dominion, and name. This sounds like Revelation, doesn't it? It sounds like the song in Revelation. This is repeated. Jesus' power, his dominion, is far above all any other ruler, any other authority, any other power, any other dominion, any other name. I'm going to say it again because you like missed the amen part, okay? All right, so because you like saying amen in church, right? You always wanted to. Here, listen. How powerful is Jesus? Well, there's no demon, there's no angel, there's no power, there's no authority, there's no dominion, there's no other name that's greater than Jesus. He's greater than all of them. Amen. Isn't that fun to say? This is what the scriptures say. Now, now what we got to do is we got to say, Jesus, I know that's true, but help me to know that's true. 
I got to know in my soul and my spirit, enlighten me, God. Open the eyes of my heart so I see you are in me more powerful than any dominion, any authority, any demon, any power, any angel, any temptation, anything. Help me see it, God. God, help me see it. Pray. That's what you want to pray for the people you love. That's what you want to pray for you. Today, before we go home, I'm going to give you a chance to pray that for somebody sitting next to you or near you right now. That's beautiful. And notice this. I love this. It says, we're far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, every name that's named, not only in this age, but in the age that is to come. So this whole thing about uniting heaven and earth is echoed throughout. It just keeps echoing throughout this letter. It's echoed here. How long is God going to be powerful? He always has been. He always will be. How long will he be powerful over demons? He always has been. He always will be. And that power is yours. That's what this passage is saying. The, the power, remember we're still, this kind of modifies that third thing that Paul is praying for enlightenment for, that we would see the hope of the calling, the, the riches of our inheritance, and the power, the immeasurable power available to us who believe. Do you believe that? Listen, if you really believe that, then you would be one dangerous person spiritually. It's because we don't really believe that, and the eyes of our heart haven't been enlightened that we live in defeat. There is great, greater victory available for us than Moses have experienced because we haven't been enlightened. This is an honor. So we have the Holy Spirit living in us, but we continually ask for a greater work of enlightenment. This is like the first step toward, a, toward the, the power of God in your life, and that is asking God to help you see it. Asking God to enlighten your heart, help you see it. Now, then it says, and he put, verse 22, all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church, put all things under his feet. So this is a reference there to Psalm 110. Notice it says, he put all things under his feet, which is kind of, he just got, for, got done referring to really demonic powers, principalities and powers and so forth. He's going to do that again in chapter 6. This is going to be echoed in this song in, in Revelation. This is a big deal. Uh, and then he says he put them all under his feet. This is repeated in other places in the Bible. He said, he, where, where are the demons then? They're very dangerous, they're very real, and they're real, but they are not greater than God, and they are where? They are under his feet. So, let's, let's review. When we think of God, how should we, see, how should we see our relationship with God? When we think of Jesus, how should we see our relationship with God? Because of Jesus, we can have intimacy with God. God, help me see it, right? When we think of us, how should we see ourselves in relation to Jesus? Because of Jesus, we have the hope of our calling, our confidence in the future there. We have the riches of our inheritance. We have the power of God. That's how we should see us. All right? But how should we see the devil and demons in the spirit world? Under his feet. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah. How should we see the church? He's the head and the fullness of it. That's how we see Jesus. The church is no small thing in the plan of God. You want to live a dynamic Christian life, church has got to be a part of it. That's his plan. You, know, say, you can't say to God, you're like, I want to have a dynamic Christian life, but I just don't want church to be a part of it. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. That's not how it works. The church is God's program on our time. And then, and then this time, you know, this age and the age to come, see what it says? He put all things under his feet, and he gave him the head over all things to the church. This is a big church letter here, right? Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
The church is his body. Demons are under his feet. So there you have it. What do we pray for? God, give me an enlightenment that I can know God in a powerful way because of Jesus. Give me an enlightenment so that I can understand who I am and these three things that are true. Give me an enlightenment so I understand the spirit world. Notice a fourth thing there is give me an enlightenment so I see the power of God in the church, the fullness of God in the church. Want to see the fullness of God? He says, I display the fullness of God in the church. I'm the head of it and I display my fullness through it. That gets you excited. It gets me excited as a pastor. Like, really? That means like right here in Evangel, we can see the fullness of God, the power of God displayed. And what's keeping that from happening? we got to see it. We want to pray that God helps us to see that. That's what the text is saying. Where does Paul, where does Paul begin for the Christians that would read this letter in Ephesus and the other places? He says, I just want to pray for you that God helps you see it. That's where we begin. This happened to me years ago, and it's happened other times, but I want to give a distant illustration, then I'm going to give you a chance to pray right here and right now for the power of God and for the enlightenment of God in your own life. But years and years and years ago, when I first got married, and, and I was in my study one day, and I was wrestling really hard with a besetting sin. It was anger. I had this tremendous problem that came on me, or that I indulged in. I'm not really sure how to put it. I just know this. I can still remember the picture in my mind as I sat at my desk in my study and I looked out the window and I over toward the church. We had a little parsonage. I looked over toward the church. And I thought, God, if you don't help me with this, I can't be a pastor anymore. I, I always felt since I was a boy that I was going to be a pastor and that, I was, that was my, what my life was going to be. But, I, but at, that, at that time, I had such defeat in my life in that area of anger that I just thought, God, you know, if you don't, if you don't help me again, you've got to help me because I don't think I can be, if I go on, I'm going to be a hypocrite, you know. You're going to have to help me. So here's what I did. People always told me this is what I should do. And it always just seemed kind of like what you say in Sunday school. Well, pray, pray about it, you know, pray, pray about it. You notice that we do? You can pray about it. How you doing? Well, I'm praying for you. We're praying. As if it's like something you just say that just kind of, it's a place, it's religious jargon, a placeholder. Pray. God never intended for prayer to be a religious jargon, a placeholder to us. Some of you that have walked with the Lord for a while, you know this. It's the first thing you do. It's the first thing you stop doing when you're walking away from the Lord. It's the first thing that you go back to when you realize the trouble that you're in. Why don't we just make it a continual part of our church life, a continual part of our family? God, I'm always going to be asking you, praying, God, help me see. I am not an angry man in Christ. I'm a gentle man in Christ. I'm a loving man in Christ. I'm a tender man in Christ. In Christ, I'm a good husband, a thoughtful husband, a husband that loves his wife and listens to his wife. God, let that be true. Help me see that's true. What's true in Christ becomes true in me. I'm here to tell you, God answered that prayer. And he answered that prayer in a very powerful way. Well, God delivered me from that anger. And the, 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 the thing I love to think about is when I ever tell that story, the kids will tell me, all of them, right? So we have one son that's 35 years old. And he would say, Dad, I never saw that in you. I never saw that in you. Why? Because I prayed, and because Jesus took it away from me. 
I don't know what, and there have been a whole bunch of other things, but I'm not telling you them right now, right? How about you? What is it that you would like to give to God and say, God, take this away from me or put this in me, God? This thing that's true about me in the heavenlies that's not true about me here on earth yet, that's the thing you want to ask God for. God, give me an enlightenment that my life actually begins to look like it already looks in heaven. So here's what we're going to do today. This is going to be a lot of fun. Here's what we're going to do. What I'm going to do today is I want to invite you that don't know the Lord to come and talk to me. And we'll set up, a, we'll arrange for you to, to, to absolutely know that you know the Lord. Because, I mean, that's the first thing, right? You can't have the experience of the power of God until you know that you're born again. So we want to help you know you're born again. If there's anybody like that, I'm going to ask you to come forward, shake my hand. I know that's our little sign that you want somebody to counsel you about how to be saved. Now, for the rest of you, I'd like everybody to act. I'm calling everybody to act, okay? And you can do this. You can do one of, of two things, unless the Lord tells you to do something else. One, you can come forward if you want and kneel and just say to, and pray to God, God, enlighten me to these things. Open my heart in a, in a deeper way in a, in a, so that I would experience the power of God in my life. And you might want to come and pray. But here's kind of a, I think, the thing I saw in my mind would be beautiful. And that is that if you stay right where you are, and maybe you just have no more than three, two or three people, no more than three, that the church would pray together right now. Wouldn't this be good? The church praying together right now. And maybe you're holding your, maybe if you're with your wife, you're holding her hand, maybe there's a couple of guys or a couple of gals, and you stand together, just two of you or no more than three. And just real briefly, you pray for each other. Can we put the, oh, you can't put the slide because of the singing. But anyway, you can probably remember the things that I shared. And pray those things or whatever that God puts in your heart especially for enlightenment for that person. Wouldn't it be sweet? So here's what we're going to do. We have a beautiful song about Jesus. Jesus, only Jesus. This is a really powerful song, and I want it to ring in your heart. We want it to ring in your heart as you go. But they're going to sing it, and we're going to sing. Would you stand? And you can come forward, or you can pray together. Let's have a big prayer meeting right now. And let's all just say, God, open my eyes to what's real about God, about me, about the devil, about the church. Open my eyes and help me see it, God. Help. Pray for the other person that God would open their eyes. If you want to come up here and pray, you can. They're going to sing. We're not going to sing the first time through, okay? Then after they're done singing the first time through, you're going to want to sing this song. Then we're all going to assemble back here. That's why my message was so short today. We're all going to assemble back here after that, and then we're all just going to sing our little hearts out, right? And then, and then we'll, we'll pray. So uh, while they sing, let's go to prayer right now. Everywhere across the auditorium, let's go to prayer.